Now, yeah, yesterday we told the story, for better or for worse, hopefully accurate, <laughs> of Kairach, of the rebellion of Kairach, the uprising of Kairach. And I, I tried to make a certain aspect of the story come across very clearly. And that is the idea that Kairach felt or identified in Moshe Rabbeinu a tendency towards picking on detail in a way that he felt was unreasonable and thus was not the will of Hashem but rather his own embellishment. Now, I'm going to have this discussion before we start this sikhah because I think it's very meaningful and very interesting and it also is, it's, I would argue, critical, fundamental to the way Yiddishkeit is designed. The examples we had were, why do you need a mezuzah in a room full of holy books? Why do you need a couple of extra fringes, strings at the edge of a begid, which is made entirely of, of wool that is tchelis, that's with blue wool? And also the notion of one person being a king or one high priest, not rather any person who so desires can have that role, that position. Um, there is a constancy, there is, a, there is an underlying meaning to it. Okay, and essentially it comes down to this. What is Yiddishkeit? Is Yiddishkeit concerned with the overall spirit? Or is Yiddishkeit concerned with the tedious detail? Does that sound familiar? It's one of the biggest complaints that's directed at Yiddishkeit is that it's too ritualistic, it's too much into particulars. Well, Kairach was a little bit before the 20th century. He was closer to the 20th century BCE than he is to the 20th century. And he had essentially the same protest. Kairach said, if everything's holy, why do you have to have a little additional candle that represents holiness? A candle in the sunlight, a mezuzah on the door, a couple of strings, a couple of fringes, the edge of a garment, and so on. And this is essentially the, 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 the position that Kairach took. And let me explain to you the flip side of it, Kairach says to Moshe, you shaved me bald. You didn't consider my hair important. <laughs> I discussed this yesterday, right? The hair also, in the terms of a person, represent the small little broken down measures of energy in life. Because it says in Torah that the hair gets its energy from the brain. Except that each individual here has such a small amount of energy that it's, it doesn't have much life, right? Like it says in Hasidus, if you cut a hair, it doesn't hurt. If you yank on it, it hurts. Because when you yank on the hair, you're yanking on the scalp. But the hair by itself has so little life that it doesn't even have a lot of feeling. So Kairach says, you take off all my hair. I don't need to have what's representative of detail. And then in other areas, you, you make such an emphasis, a mezuzah, the strings of tzitzes, the, the singularity of the Kohen Gadol, and so on and so forth. Now, the philosophy of Yiddishkeit is that you need to have two things. There needs to be an overall spirit, but that Yiddishkeit insists that the effectiveness, the health, the indicator of the truth of that overall spirit is that it translates into the detail. And the details represented by the smallness, by the technical nature of the commandment, of the mitzvah, whether it's the strings in the tzitzis, or it's the mezuzah on the door, and so on and so forth. Yiddishkeit really emphasizes both. There is the spiritual dimension of Yiddishkeit, 
but the test of the truth of the spiritual dimension of Yiddishkeit is that it comes down into the technical, into the behavioral. Or to say it a little bit differently, Yiddishkeit is a religion of spirituality, but it's also a Yiddish religion of the mind. And the mind, by definition, is not very conducive to encompassing consuming spiritual experiences because the mind has a tendency to dissect the mind has a tendency to break things up into minutia that's what a healthy brain does and the healthier one's brain is the more they they dissect and compartmentalize Yiddishkeit is a religion of spirit of the neshama and Yiddishkeit is also a religion that believes that the health of that soul if this the mind governs the spirituality and there seems to be a conflict because the assumption is that a profound spiritual experience is all-inclusive and all-encompassing and not tedious and technical and detailed and compartmentalized and Taita wants both and Taita adds another dimension to this another dynamic to this and this is what I wanted to get to there is a, a concept, there's a whole discussion in Hasidus with some details, some for a few pages in the Samarvav, where the Rebbe Rashab talks about a very interesting Pasuk. There's a Pasuk someplace in Tanakh. The Pasuk in Tanakh says essentially as follows. Salsala, Salsala means when you comb, you brush the hair. One becomes exalted, one becomes uplifted to a higher level. In other words, when you comb, when you brush hair, there's an elevation, going to a higher level. So it's explained in Hasidus as follows. Every hair comes from the mind. But in each individual hair, there is a tiny amount of energy, of intellectual power. So little that the hair by itself doesn't seem to have any worth. The nimshal, the spiritual counterpart, equivalent of hair coming out of a head, is there is the soul of Yiddishkeit. The soul of Yiddishkeit is the spirituality of Yiddishkeit. The, the study of God, the study of the unity of Hashem, that's the depth of Yiddishkeit. And then there are the hairs. And the hairs are representative of the commandments, of the mitzvahs, of the deeds, of the behaviors. Each individual hair represents the soul of Yiddishkeit in such a small way that it almost seems disconnected from the soul of Yiddishkeit. Uh, the way Hasidus puts it, the skull separates between the brain and the hair. There isn't a lot of communication, there isn't a lot of the nisham of Yiddishkeit in the mitzvah, in the ritual. Now, and I'll repeat again, if we define Yiddishkeit as being a deep passion for Hashem and a profound understanding, not of what tzitzis are, or what mezuzah is, but what God is, Achtas Hashem, I mean the deep, you know, the mystical, the spiritual study of Hashem and the purpose of creation, all the stuff that makes us all feel good. <laughs> it doesn't obligate us to do too much. That soul, that spirit, that entity of Yiddishkeit, when it comes down to the hair, when it comes down to the ritual, it comes down to the behavior, to the deed, is very little, is not represented very well. So the Pasuk says a fascinating thing. When you comb and brush the hairs, you reach a higher level. In other words, when a person is tedious, technical, precise about the hairs of Yiddishkeit, their soul, their intellect, their passions, the depth of Yiddishkeit is uplifted to a higher level. And the way Hasidus explains it is by discussing it more in a philosophical light or maybe in an intellectual light. The nature of intellect is 
so that when you learn and when you understand things in generalities you understand things also simplistically in other words when you understand a very very deep idea in a basic way you understand it in a very very superficial way when you take that basic idea and you break it down you dissect it you break it up into smaller units and of course when you break it up into smaller units you identify it means this in this situation it means that in this situation it means a third thing in a third situation and so on and so forth what happens is you understand the essence of that concept in a deeper and far truer and far more profound way in other words in intellect detail contributes to depth though the, the, the human instinct the person is inclined we are disposed by our nature and by our, our desire for whatever for short term gratification to assume that a more encompassing experience is a deeper experience an experience that takes us over more is a truer and a deeper experience <laughs> like, like we walk into a wedding and the music is blasting and you can't think everybody gets very very excited you know there's a certain as a culture in America you know, you know better than I what that culture is about where you want to get lost in the noise and that's supposedly a consuming experience says Taita and when you think about it it's true that's not it's not a deeper experience it's a consuming experience but not a deeper experience deeper experiences are arrived at when the emphasis is on the detail when you dissect when you delve into you don't just simplify and generalize but you delve into the aspects the particulars there's a greater experience not of the particulars but of the essence Yiddishkeit, you know, the language that we've adopted for this concept is the push-me-pull-you phenomenon. Um, Yiddishkeit certainly celebrates Neshama, Avavayira, the passions of being a Jew. And like I said, the thesis of the unity of Hashem, which is the, the soul of Yiddishkeit, the, the whole concept of the unity of God and the purpose of creation and the idea of prophecy, you know, the basics, the core issues, the core beliefs in Yiddishkeit. But Yiddishkeit also insists that the way to have the deepest appreciation and experience of those is by doing the mitzvahs and emphatically to focus on, to emphasize the particular, the detail. Do you know why? Because we live in a world of details. No person is going to be satisfied with a home which is more or less okay. <laughs> it's got to be perfect. Well, Yiddishkeit is the same way. And the perfection in Yiddishkeit, down to the technical behavioral level, doesn't compromise the spiritual experience. It enhances it. Just like we understand that when you analyze a concept in its detail, you end up understanding the overall concept better, not worse. The same is true in Yiddishkeit as a whole. And this is essentially the philosophical debate that's taking place between Moshe Rabbein and Kairach. You took off all my hair, which Kairach understood to mean, for me, detail is not important. Because the hair would represent the detail. And the whole religion is full of detail. Mezuzah is a detail. A room full of safe potatoes needs a mezuzah. Why? Because that is a specific statement to the effect of Hashem Alakein Hashem Echad. Sure, the Torah represents the unity of God, but in a, con- in a consuming, in an encompassing kind of way, or like the, you know, one of our words, in a wowing kind of a way. Not in an internalized, in a dissected, in a, a way where I have to focus on a specific concept. The Mezuzah says, no, no, the general experience is wonderful, but it's not Judaism. It isn't Judaism unless that general experience materializes in a specific form, a mezuzah on a door. And all of the particulars are important. 
And the same is true with tzitzis. You've wrapped yourself in the energy of Hashem. Not enough. It's got to materialize in fringes. You know why? Because we live in a world of deeds. We live in a world of individual acts. We live in a world of detail. So our Yiddishkeit also has to be behavioral and detailed and specific. It's not enough to be in, the, in a Jewish state of mind, whatever that means. The Jewish state of mind has to materialize into a tzitzah, into a string. And it also has its manifestations in the society. There is one Kohen Gadol. Not everybody can be a Kohen Gadol. And the singularity of the Kohen Gadol defines the nature of the religion of the whole. That it comes down to a detail, to a particular. Now, so then why did Kodach lose all his hair? I mean, Kodach's point is well taken. And ironically, and I'm not gonna, this part I'm not going to delve into in too much detail, when Mashiach comes the detail becomes uplifted. There's no necessity for a detail. And the Levian represent actually the Messianic time. And the real philosophy, the real essence of the issue was, Aden was a Kohen Gadol, he had beautiful hair, there was a special emphasis on his hair. Kohen was bald because he represents Mashiach. He says, make me the Kohen Gadol. That'll be Mashiach is here now. And Moshe's response is, your point is well taken, but it's premature. When Mashiach comes, it says that the Leviim become Kayanim, the priests become Kayanim. And again, I'm not explaining the philosophy here, it's not relevant. Um, but in this world, the Kayan has to be a Kayan. The Kayan who has beautiful hair, which emphasizes the detail. So, just to, to, to recap, to, to review the point that I'm trying to make. The pattern you see in Kayan's protest is, he says, Moshe... I believe in God. I believe that He gave you a Yiddishkeit. I have a problem with all this detail. It seems to me that this is your embellishment. It seems to me that this is your creative component. Because Kairach in his great wisdom was convinced if he don't understand, then it ain't so. Which is rather arrogant if you think about it. And Kairach was arrogant. And he was also rich. I should really say he was rich and definitely he was also arrogant. He says to Moshe, all this emphasis on detail is wrong. And especially since in his own personal life there was a de-emphasis of detail by the removal of the hair. And the explanation that Moshe Rabbeinu gives is that in this world, this world means to say before the revelation of Mashiach, where we live our material lives in details, in aspects. Yiddishkeit has to come down to the detail, to the ritual, otherwise it's, it's, it doesn't have any teeth. You know, we live in a society where religion is wonderful as long as you don't take it too seriously. <laughs> The place where Yiddishkeit becomes serious is not in the mushy feely, but in the deed, in the ritual, and the behavior. And it's not that the ritual, and the behavior is disattached, is separated from the soul. No, no, it's the manifestation of it. It's the indicator of I really mean this because I actually do something about it. Or what's worse, I don't do something on the basis of what the Abishta says. And this is, so to speak, the philosophical soul of the rebellion. Kairach, in his great wisdom, thinks that in religion, detail is, is a distraction. It takes away from the soul of Yiddishkeit. And Moshe, in his great pragmatism, the holy Moshe, I mean, this heavenly creature, um, appreciated the fact that, no, yes, it's true, Yiddishkeit is very spiritual, and it's full of passions and a deep understanding. For Yiddishkeit to be real, in this so-called real world, you've got to do things. And even things you don't want to do, we're not in the mood of. It has to come down to the detail. Okay? So, what we did yesterday was tell the story, but I tried to give you the foundation. What indicated the Kairach 
that Moshe Rabbeinu was embellishing God's word and that certain aspects of Yiddishkeit were not the creation of Hashem but the creation of Moshe Rabbeinu and Kairach jumped all over those particulars and he made an uprising and Moshe Rabbeinu tried to throw him off and Kairach tried to rally Klal Yisrael and Moshe Rabbeinu's hope was keep this rebellion local don't let it spread because Moshe Rabbeinu's hands were tied he knew he can't pray anymore <laughs> he's prayed out he's used up all of his prayers all of his you know remember the last Pasha the Meraglim they already lost their opportunity to go into Israel they're passing away in the desert their children are going to Israel this one they weren't going to survive and Moshe Rabbeinu succeeds in keeping it local when Hashem suggests to Moshe Rabbeinu what he suggested a few times to wipe away Jewish people and start from fresh Moshe says what do you mean they haven't just one person is guilty of sin and Hashem says what are they all doing here so Moshe says they're spectators <laughs> but the actual words as I mentioned yesterday they wanted to see who would win if Kairach would win they'd all be on Kairach's team Rahman al-Tlan. but the Ebishter, Moshe Rabbeinu succeeded in localizing the rebellion to Kairach to Dasan and and so on and so forth and they were eaten up by the earth like it says in the Chumash and Klal survived and the, the neshama of this the soul of this is what I mentioned today Kairach didn't think detail was important, ritual was important, and Hashem says, Moshe says, if there's no detail and there's no ritual, then Yiddishkeit is not, it doesn't mean anything. It's not obligating anybody, it's not governing people's lives. People just use it because it makes them feel good. Okay? Questions? Right. Okay. I, 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 this is the part of it that I don't want to get into because I, I want to talk about the version of the story written in the Chumash. But yes, the point is there won't be a necessity to emphasize details. They'll happen automatically. Because um, I know that there's also a secret from like kind of wanted to bring Mashiach. It's this point, yeah. Right, right. It's, it, I mean, I learned that sicha. <laughs> I didn't make this up. Okay, no, but this is a classical idea. This explanation of Kairach is an old modern from the Alter Rebbe on. This idea that Kairach, when Mashiach comes, Leviim are going to be Kaihanim. He said, I want to be a Kaihan now. The, the, the language in mysticism is Kainim are chesed and Levim are gavura. Uh, in, in this world, Yiddishkeit has to have a chesed form to bring it down from the higher level to the lower level, from the generality to the specific. In the messianic time, the, it's a gavura world where everything is lifted up to a higher level so it's included in the, in the radiance and the light of Hashem. And the important thing is there's no fallout, there's no klipper that's created. Gavura is greater than chesed except that it usually leaves over a byproduct. Like when you have water that flows, the dust, the filth is included in the stream. When you have fire that burns and uplifts, it leaves over ash. So that's, that's what you don't want. The fire of Mashiach uplifts, doesn't leave over any ash. Before Mashiach comes, the fire will leave over ash, and Hashem doesn't want any ash left over. So therefore He says, let's use the water, let's include the filth, the schmutz, and when we're ready to uplift to the extent where there won't be any byproduct, any leftovers, then we'll transfer from chesed to gavura. Kairach represents that, but right now, Kairach has to be secondary to Aharin, to the Kohen, because we, we're not ready for Mashiach in the times of Kairach. 
And Kaira said, I want Mashiach now. I says, there are many, many illustrations of this in, in Kabbalah. You see this, or aspects that reflect this. And Gevura is messianic. So Kaidach's desire for Mashiach, Kaidach's desire to be a Kaihin was let the when Mashiach comes, says a Pasuk in Yecheskel, that the Levim will be Kainim. A Kainim, a Levim, and a So Kaidach says, why wait for Mashiach? I want to be a Kain now. Gevura, Gevura is Haid Nechesed. And Moshe says, you're right, Gevura is Haid Nechesed. But Gevura is Haid Nechesed only if it comes after Chesed. If it comes before Chesed, it's destructive. Okay, anybody else want to talk about something exotic? Okay, let's go. Let's start the Sikha. Says Yadua. It is known. As the Torah is Torah Achas. The Torah is one Torah. Multiple interpretations, different levels, different flavors, different colors. In other words, every word in the Torah has so many different insights, commentary, perspectives, but it's one. The fear oifanim fun pardes, the four forms. Anybody know what the word oifanim means? Haha. Does anybody know what oifanim means? Does anybody know what an oifan means? Yeah, angels. But anybody know why those angels are called Ifanim? Wheels? Wheels. How do you know that? You went to school. But, but it doesn't say in the city wheels. It says angels. Ifan means a wheel. You know why there are angels that are called wheels? Because there's a level of angels that go around in a circle. In other words, they don't get very far. And you have to remember to be human, not to be an angel, because your energy is not going around in a circle. But in any event, there are four wheels, four different ways to learn the Torah. I was just getting on your nerves there. So the four different levels that construct the Pardes, the word Pardes means the garden of Torah, the beauty of Torah, which consists, as you probably already know, the word Pardes is an acronym, it's an abbreviation for Pshat, the simple interpretation, which includes also the Halachic, which is the most important. Remez, the secret, the, the riddle of the Torah. Drush, the derivation, but you have to take what you can extract from the Torah, but it's not even hinted there. And Saida, the mystical, the secret of the Torah, which is of course Kabbalah. So there are four different levels of Torah, which approach the Torah in entirely different ways, but still, Stalin, Ale, Zusammen, they all contribute to construct a Torah, Achas, Shleim, one unified or as it's underscored and emphasized in the language of the Zayar regarding the soul of Torah regarding Kabbalah and Hasidus versus the revealed Torah the Talmud and the Halacha Kabbalah and Hasidus is like a soul and halacha and the shas, the gemara, is like a body. Does haste, in other words, as a zainin, that they are an ashama un aguf, a soul and a body, for an zach, of one thing. A body and a soul make up an entity called a person. A soul by itself is not a person, and a body by itself is certainly not a person. A person is a construct of an ashama and a guf. The, the deeper levels of teta and the more superficial of the teta are analogous to a body and a soul. It means to say they're one construct, one essence. And you know what? Let's right here. Let's repeat the same point. People who who are flying high and seeing stars because they learn Kabbalah, 
and they don't appreciate the necessity for Torah and Mitzvahs, the behavior performance of Torah and Mitzvahs, are not practicing Judaism. They're practicing Meism. What was the expression that was used? The expression that was used was spiritual materialism. I would call it material spirituality, where it's self-serving. You like exotic, you like the spiritual, so you study Kabbalah and you feel holy. But there's no obligation. You can live just the way you want. The what makes the soul of Yiddishkeit, Yiddishkeit is that it's attached to a body, and ultimately the body is the deed, the behavior. Okay, so it's the same point that we were discussing before about Kodesh and Moshe. Now we go on. On that basis, here's the question. In our Pasha. As far as the Machlekes, the uprising, the rebellion that Kodesh made is concerned. And the Rebbe says, Epnimius ha is mavur barucha. In the soul of Torah, in Hasidus and in Kabbalah, it is explained at length what you said before. The great level of Kaidach. And the very exalted significance of his protest. In other words, Kaidach wasn't a street bum. He wasn't a rabble-rouser. He wasn't an antagonist. He was a great man who understood Yiddishkeit in a very profound way. And his rebellion was a very deep and refined protest against the way he saw Yiddishkeit going versus how he thought Yiddishkeit should go. And Kabbalah Hasidus gives Kairach an awful lot of credit for having a very, very deep, mystical purpose, as you put it, that Mashiach should come, or Mashiach should be revealed at that time in his protest against Moshe Rabbeinu. And the question, of course, the Rebbe wants to know is now how is that consistent with the Kairach, I read about Nechumish, who was just a troublemaker. Okay. B is, to the opposite extreme, B is, to the extent, I'm sorry, Tzumbir, to the explanation which is found in Hasidus, as I taught is given, no, the entire mistake of Kairach was only Thus was Erad Gemont that he was demanding Azaz, Seder, and Hogger such an order of conduct, which essentially comes down to what I told you in my introduction today. As the Leviim, Zonver, and Koyenim, that the Levites, the Leviim, the servants, should become priests. Thus, that was meant to happen when Mashiach is revealed, and Mashiach comes. And Koyenach basically wanted to, to usher in, to bring Mashiach to Kenya at a time which would translate into him being a Koyen. Why was he wrong? Because we live in Hayyim, in today, we need to do in the present world, in the world before the revelation of Mashiach. And in this world, everything emphasizes the behavior, which is represented by the Kayin, which is Chesed rather than Gavur, as I mentioned before. Such a behavior is not realistic, it's not practical, it's not, it's not going to work. This is Mavur Baruch and Chasid. This Chasidus explains that length. So Kairach's basic complaint was he wanted Mashiach to come. So Kairach had very exalted, very elevated, very, what's the word? Good intentions. One of the favorite American words. He was very sincere. I love saying that. Okay. On the other hand, says the Rebbe, on the other hand, when you look at the Chumash, I read it for face value. Kairach was a bum. As it's written in the text, literally, without the help of Chassidus. We learn throughout the entire episode about the great spiritual collapse, decline, failure of Kedach. 
which sparked the, the devastating consequence. Kedach was punished in a more severe way. The Cholad with his whole band of followers, with his whole, uh, I don't know what the word is, following, rent the crowd. Farzeh Machlekes for their uprising. Vimavur Baharucha in Pashtus Haksuvim. As is implicit, as it's explained in great detail when you read the Psukim for face value. And even more so when you read the commentators on the Chumash that describe the entire story of Kairach start to finish and they explain all the particulars. Bottom line is, Kairach was a rebel. You know, rebels are usually, they're against the organization, the grips, the establishment. And he was very sophisticated, very, very, what's the word, organized in the way he made his rebellion. He rallied people, he, he went around stumping, he was campaigning. He was a chaberman, make a long story short. He was very smart, and as it turned out, very devious. What's the consistency? How can we possibly correlate? bring together this, this elevated spiritual Kairach, who all he wanted to do was bring Mashiach and make himself the Kairach um, And the superficial version of the story, where he was just a, a troublemaker. And the Rebbe says, Nobody can consider this a very big question. Why not? Varum because... In other words, our question is, what's the consistency between Hasidic version of Kedah and the Chumash version of Kedah? It's not such a big problem. Why not? Arum because. Chachas Teda Achasi, though Teda is one, is the Chfad still. Yeder Chelik B'Teda, each level of Teda, each portion of Teda, Shaykh Tzuanander Eulam Madrege is related to another level, world or level, I'm sorry. So, you can't really make this into too much, more than it is, because it's not uncommon for one level of Torah to have an interpretation which is inconsistent with a different level of Torah. Just as we know that each portion of Torah has its own rules and principles, and you don't have to correlate. You can't really ask questions from one level of Torah on another level of Torah. Notwithstanding that, even though it's true that it's really not such a big deal, or a big question. It still would be nice <laughs> if we could work out a, uh, a corollary, a similarity, a closeness, a sameness between the mystical version of Kairach's story and the Pshat version of Kairach's story. It, would be, it, it does require a clarification. About since the four portions of the Teda. correspond to the four worlds. The lower world evolves from the higher. It must turn out that also with the way Teda descends to its lowest level, to the literal, to the physical and simple level, it is necessary for it to materialize, to manifest. At least in a given path, at least in certain aspects, the my level of Kedach say the great level of Kedach and his protest, al Derech with the Sis Barchov, as it is in great length and detail and broadness, and it encompasses the entire story in Chelik Pnimiyas Atayr on the levels of Tayr which are deeper. In other words, true, it's okay and it's necessary to separate between one level of Tayr and the next. At the same time, it would be nice if we could see some consistency. Find somewhere in Kedach's protest something holier, something deeper, something more spiritual, something more comparable to what Hasidus has to say about Kedach and his uprising. Um, perhaps by asserting himself against 
Amosha, maybe he was trying to make the point that our relationship with Hashem is, does not necessarily have to be through an intermediary like Moshe, but we does have our own personal relationship with Hashem. Right. I want to, yesterday I pointed out that I, I want to repeat that. If you look carefully, Kaidach was careful not to attack Moshe. Because Kaidach knew that Moshe's place was established firmly. But the Rebbe does say that in some sikhahs, that that was the, the essence of his rebellion. We're all holy, why are you singling yourself out? Like we have in today's chitas, tomorrow's chitas. Miriam said, he's no holy, we're also prophets and we're married. Why is he not married? You know what I'm talking about? So that's one way of understanding it. But that's also not pshat. That's also not in the text. In the text, Kairach just said, Moshe is, what was the word I used yesterday? Imposter. An imposter. He was an imposter, he was a phony. Because he's embellished. Anyway, we'll work it out. As long as you remember the word imposter, we don't know.